everybody. Welcome back to On the Mic with Mike Peters. This week's guest is a very funny comedian from Rochester, Justin Brown. I've known him for, God, probably too long, but he is one of the best comedians. He is way more introspective and insightful than I thought. I thought he was all about drugs. Turns out, yeah, he's about drugs, but he's also got a fucking brain on him, so good for him. He's a regular at the Comedy at the Carlson, and he's got an awesome podcast called Hate This Podcast. Listen to it once. You'll understand why it's called that. He's one of the funniest guys around. I know you're going to love him. Thanks so much for listening. Please like and share the podcast. I appreciate everything, guys. I'll talk to you next week. Take care. Thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, totally, man. Fucking thanks for having me on having me on your podcast. Get me on shows. Shows. I, I got you on like three one show and then the last two were canceled. Getting so, me on show. Yeah, I'm being applauded for my effort. It's true though. I, I applaud your effort. Uh but yeah, no. So I was gonna say before we started, I was uh I went to the fucking grocery store the other day and uh I was talking to the cash register uh, or cash register. I was on a ton of LSD bro. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you're not wearing your mask, man. But no, I was talking to the cashier, and uh, I, I always forget my bags. Do you go? Do you shop at Wegmans? No, but but uh, I shop at Weiss, and I have to bring my own bags. Bro, what the fuck is Weiss, dude? It's, like, it's a white supremacist Wegmans. <laughs> yeah, of course. That's that's where I only shop. I get white bread and uh, <laughs> white pear halves. I have no idea what else is white. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's just a grocery store. Okay, but they 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 don't have uh, plastic bags either. Do they have their own like? Um, you can buy for like a dollar, like tote bag things. Yeah, but you know what I did? Because uh, I'm very egocentric. I bought bags with my podcast logo on it. Where did you do that? <laughs> like a custom like place. Chinese fucking like sweatshop. <laughs> well, that's where they make all the good stuff. Yeah, of course. Right. So there's just some fucking kid in Taiwan fucking making big bags with your dumb face. <laughs> well, yeah, they're like, they're like, well, you can choose the screen printing option or, uh, you know, an eight-year-old boy sewing. And I'm like, well, I want that one. Will his hands hurt when he's done? <laughs> so that's how you know it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You know what? I definitely have to uh, bring the bags. So so you how many you have like a bunch of bags with your with your podcast logo on, or is it just like one big one? I have two. Okay. So like you, more than two would just be, you know, really narcissistic. Yeah. <laughs> so with with the Wegmans bags, have you been to Wegmans? Are you like an Amish person? Where do you live? <laughs> no. no. I'm in Binghamton, so like we we've had a Wegmans ever since I moved here in like '89. Okay. I used to. Get, this is how old I am, by the way. I'm 37. I used to rent wrestling videotapes at Wegmans. What? Oh, dude, I remember when they had yeah. that shit, dude. Cassettes. Yeah, I remember. That's when I like learned about what fucking like workout tapes. I remember I would go into like the Wegmans in East Rochester, which I think was one of the first Wegmans, and uh, they. Which I got banned from as a teenager, but that's a different story. But uh, <laughs> I remember I would go in there and look at like Sonic cartridges on like Sega. I, they have like Sega games, like Nintendo games, Nintendo 64 and shit like that. And then my little like brain, I wouldn't understand why I'd be so drawn to these workout tapes because they just had like pictures of like mom butts and stuff. Like, 
And I was just like drawn to them and I would fucking read all the titles and they had the weirdest names. It was always like the ninth edition too. They would never have the first eight, but you'd have like Mom Thighs 12. You know, yeah, Su- like, Suzanne Summers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But anyway, so at Wegmans, they, you get like, you gotta buy like 12 bags to get your groceries. Cause they like, they bag them for you, which is bullshit. If you're buying the bags, you should be able to put your own fucking shit. Dude, I would load my fucking bags up. You know what I mean? But, but you always forget them, so you got to fucking buy more bags every time you go. Do you forget your bags, or do you remember to buy it? You know what I mean? I remember when I go to a grocery store, but if I'm shopping at like Walmart, I'll, uh-huh. I'll never remember bags. So I go to the self-checkout at Walmart, and they have an option. They have, they have plastic bags there, but you have to pay $0.10 cents a bag unless you lie. <laughs> Then you don't have to pay for anything. Oh, you can just fucking grab. So they leave it up to you to pay for your bags? Yeah, Walmart's lazy. Oh, that's what's up. But so I, I never remember. Like when I go to Wegmans, I never fucking remember because it's like I was trained my whole life. I'm only I'll be 30 this year. So you're a little bit older than me. But like I don't I can't get out of that. Like I've been trained to think that there's going to be bags for me. You know, it's like the only thing I can compare it to is like if one day they made a law where you had to start like bringing your own toilet paper to every bathroom that you went to. And like, if you didn't bring it, you had to like buy toilet paper to be able to take a shit. And like, you could buy like the nice toilet paper for like a dollar. You could buy like the shitty toilet paper for like five cents. And it's just like, I don't understand how anybody remembers to bring fucking bags to the, to when they go shopping. It's so weird. To no, me. I'm surprised that they didn't charge like, like a place like Wagmans or anybody, anybody who had a public bathroom. I'm surprised they didn't pay or charge you to <laughs> use the toilet paper. It's so funny, dude. If you went to Wegmans bathrooms and you found that they just all their old plastic bags with a new toilet paper, <laughs> <laughs> you, get, you can get you can get your bags, but you gotta get you gotta wash the shit off when you. <laughs> you know what's kind of fucked up? When I was a kid, I'm a, a kid. When I was in my twenties. Uh, and I was working at a newspaper. I would just steal toilet paper from wherever I worked. Like oh, I went, I went, and like the only reason I went to my apartment gym complex was to get more toilet paper. And like I just, yeah, I I probably went about twelve years, no joke, without buying toilet paper. It was amazing. That's what's up. It wasn't until like maybe a year and a half ago, two years, where I was like, you know, what if I try this two ply stuff? And it changed your fucking life, dude. <laughs> you know. Like there's so many factors. I'm like, oh, I'm going to therapy. You know, I'm not with that person anymore. I'm doing more comedy. I think that the reason I'm in a good mood most times is because I'm wiping my ass with proper stuff. Dude, it's so funny. I'm so happy for you, but like, it's, <laughs> it's like it's, it's your bar is so low, man. Like I, <laughs> I just like. Like I just imagine that like everything else in your life is that standard, you know. Like you just much. you just put like a fucking birthday candle and like a and a can of tuna for your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good tuna. You like you go to McDonald's for anniversaries. <laughs> I <laughs> root for the Mets actively. <laughs> well, that's that's a flaw. No, for every year for my birthday, February twelfth, every year on my birthday, I get Taco Bell. Like it's uh, just me and talk, like my mom's like, hey, let's do a birthday dinner this year. I go, I don't want to do that. She's like, what do you mean? I said, all I want to do is get Taco Bell, go home and eat alone while I watch TV. Yeah. And like, but that, that's my tradition. I've been doing that for like 15 years or so. I get that, man. When I was, uh, when I first moved out of my house when I was 18, I lived in this like subsidized apartment for a year. But then after that, I moved out into a trailer with my brother. And I was so fucking poor, dude. And I like, I didn't have a car. So like, 
all that there was, there's a fucking McDonald's that was like a half a mile away from our trailer park. And like every payday, dude, I'd ride my fucking bike to McDonald's and I'd drive back with like two quarter pounders, dude. And I'd sit in my trailer and I'd smoke a bong. And I don't think I've ever been as happy as those fucking days, dude. You said two quarter pounders? Yeah, dude. Two quarter okay. pounders, no onions, baby. So so I'm I'm seven years older, probably eight years older than you. And when I was in high school, they had 49 cent cheeseburgers and I uh, was like that. Do they? Yeah. It's like, it was a little bit more expensive, but yeah. Yeah. I was dating this woman at the time for like maybe a year and a half. We were going to go to my prom and we did, but she's like, well, we should go to this Italian place and, you know, good food, whatever. I'm like, okay, but it's kind of trendy. And, you know, everybody goes there for prom. And right. It's expensive. And I had money and she didn't. And not that she was going to pay anyway. Right. I said, you know, it would be fun. <laughs> prom is on a Thursday. Heroin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't know about that then. Heroin wasn't around in 1999. Uh, so, but I'm like, you know, it'd be fun is if we go to prom, it's a Thursday. But before we go to prom, we go to McDonald's. Because it's 49 cent cheeseburgers and 39 cent ice cream cones. Oh. And I'll get you, I was like, and I'll get you water. <laughs> so uh, you offered her like 50 ice cream cones? <laughs> yeah, we went to the Italian place. <laughs> there was there was no debate yeah no it, it's hard to it's hard to finesse a blowjob in mcdonald's parking lot if you're not a coke <laughs> yeah i've never tried that actually wendy's <laughs> wendy's parking lot yes yeah. not mcdonald's wendy's you can you can trick them because they're so grease slogged you know <laughs> like, you're right it's like oh no there's a salad too well we'll get that and whatever dude, salad, uh, fucking, dude i never understood the like weird attempt to like pander to healthy people with like who gets a salad at a fast food place dude i get them at wendy's but like here's the deal i'll get like a southwest taco salad they give you like a half a pound of chili and then <laughs> sour cream and tostitos like i was like what the fuck is happening here chili on your salad. <laughs> like i'm like i go in there with a full intention oh i'm gonna change my life i'm gonna eat healthy now and i'm like oh yeah here's a vat of chili with sour cream let's start over you're like can i get a can i get a salad they're like yeah like what kind of dressings do you have (laughs) chili and sour cream (laughs) (laughs) just inject that in my veins (laughs) we also have meat sauce (laughs) well dude i want to talk comedy I was told by R.J. McCarthy, hey, man, you got to book this guy. And and I got to tell you, I respect everything R.J. says about comedy until I fucking met you. Because he's he's like, dude, Justin Brown's really good. And I'm like, okay, fuck, man, you're terrible. (laughs) That'd be so funny if that wasn't a joke. And this was just a long con for you to make fun of me. (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. I've been waiting for three months. <laughs> Take this guy down a peg. But no, yeah. but we, we did it. We did a show at Seneca Lake Brewing Company, and no joke, holy shit, dude! You came on the stage, and it was like an explosion of laughter, like that quickly. I don't think I've ever heard somebody attack it. It was great. It was. I had I had fodder because there's that dude that was getting hammered and making jackass of himself before oh, yeah. the show was starting, and he left like right before I went on stage, but made like a big scene on his way out. So I just fucking said something about him. Uh, so I don't even remember what I said. Oh, I said, uh, said I like that dude because it takes a lot of confidence to get hammered in a yellow shirt like that. Everybody's going to fucking look at you the whole time. But, uh, but yeah, that was a cool room, man. That one dude that owns that place is a eccentric character. I enjoyed him. 
that British man that has like a tech background that has a bar in the middle of New York surrounded by a bunch of like Confederate flag people. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Bradley. I think it's Bradley Gilbert. I think that's his last name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then, and then, uh, I had to do homework because you left your card there. Yeah, and I just had to mail it back to you. The last, the next time I went to Syracuse, I left my card there. Jesus, <laughs> I just don't want my cards, dude. It's weird. I, yeah, I've had four new bank cards in 2020. So, did you change the bank card after I sent it to you, or no? No, you with you. I since I got a hold of you and you just sent it to me, I just kept that one. I've had four new bank cards, not including the time I left my bank. Uh, so you're from Rochester. You're not from Rochester, right? No, I'm from Baltimore, but I moved to Rochester when I was very young, like four. Oh, so you don't remember Baltimore at all? I remember vaguely with things, you know, um, the heroin, the crack. <laughs> at four. At four. You just, you just watched the, off, or the Office. <laughs> Almost. You, you just watched The Wire. I was, similar shows. <laughs> I was born in The Wire. Yeah, no, I, uh, I don't remember Baltimore really at all. I remember we had a, I remember the only thing, <laughs> this is completely not like specific to Baltimore, but one of the only things I remember about living there was uh, we lived on a hill right so there's like an angle and i remember we, when we would park our car just not understanding why the car wouldn't roll down the hill when we got out of it <laughs> it's like just like what kind of wizardry it's like i was just in that thing i know it moves <laughs> but yeah that's all i remember i lived in baltimore for about eight years something like that oh, and, uh, yeah yeah so i i lived in like do you remember the area you were from? No, I'd have to ask my parents. Yeah, it's like I, I lived in like Middle River and the eastern, not the eastern shore, but like uh, east of Baltimore. And then I lived in Glen Burnie, which is south of Baltimore. Uh, but I worked there, you know, as a, as a journalist. So I was all over the place in the city. I didn't know you were a journalist. Yeah, I used to be. So now now I just do a podcast to, you know, make sure my parents didn't waste all their money for college. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, dude, you honestly, you fucking, you put on some of the best shows. I'd say your circuit might be the best circuit in upstate New York as far as, like, the quality of comics and the rooms. Like, I mean, I only did the one room, but it was fucking jam-packed. Well, now this is the real reason I had you on the podcast, to blow smoke <laughs> up my ass. <laughs> no, but for real, man, like, I have people talking to me all the time about, like, yo, how'd you get on the fucking Mike Peters shit? And I'm just like, because I give really good blowjobs to dudes that wear glasses. Yeah, man. And and like, I got to say, like, having a beard, I thought would feel a little weird. Um, you know, but like, you've got one and it doesn't feel that bad. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking about RJ. I didn't want to give away our secret. <laughs> thanks for no. letting everybody know that. It's, it is a soft. It feels nice. It's not, it's not. It itchy. is. The cleanup is a little bit problematic, but whatever. That's not my deal. <laughs> Yeah, I just, the cleanup is just my beard hair. It's not even the cut. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you get I a haircut at a barbershop. <laughs> I, I love producing shows, and I, I'm very fortunate that, one, I don't know why anybody would do my show unless, like, you know, they've seen it or whatever. Like, when I reach out to you and Dario Joseph, like, Andy Kuhn's going to do whatever the fuck, you know. He's got no, no other hope, so... <laughs> <laughs> but but I reached out to you and Dario Joseph, and you're like, oh yeah, cool. I'm like, all right, they don't know me. Uh, but no, it's dude, I, I have so much fun doing it because my belief is that there's so much talent around that man. How can I go wrong betting on Rochester or you know these guys? And when in all seriousness, if RJ says, hey, you should check out those guys, I'm gonna check them out. Well, yeah, you just I don't know. You, from what I've seen of just like uh, posters and stuff online, I'm like, oh fuck. There's always like at least two or three people that I like where I'm like on your shows where I'm just like, oh hell yeah. So yeah, definitely go check out a Mike Peters show if you haven't already. But 
I, I'm a fan, man. I'm excited to get back on stage and to, and to do another one of your fucking gigs. Yeah, dude, I'll, this will air after, you know, whatever I say to you, but I'll have something for you very soon. Uh, <laughs> is that you have like a, you have like a time vault. <laughs> you, you, yeah. You I'll open release, it up 10 years later. Yep. I'll, I'll release this when I know it's going to make me look good. <laughs> so, but no, I'll have gigs for you uh, soon. Have you done anything since the pandemic began? I haven't been on stage since like late February. What's that feel like for you? Dude, I'm going fucking crazy, man. It's like what it is is like I didn't realize how much anxiety I get released when I do stand up. Like because I mean, you know, before you get on stage, you get anxious. Yeah. And like but there's even if you do well or bad, there's like a release of some kind when you because you're like, I got it over with. Like it's the thing I was so dreading is like it's done. But like when you don't have that release especially when i've been doing it for i'll be coming up on five years so i'm like my brain's kind of been trained for that release so now i don't have it my anxiety just ramps up and up and up but it doesn't ever fucking go back down again so that's why i end up fucking uh and then my fucking podcast host co-host uh todd gerslin is like in the middle of getting a divorce so <laughs> it's kind of hard to be like come on man let's do fart jokes on the internet today um so i haven't been able to do like podcasts really at all either so it's just like i've just been bugging the shit out of my girlfriend and touching my cats too much my cats hate me right now dude. i'm such like, an anxious touchy ball of it, like annoying them. i don't want to try the entire bit on you but uh i i've been working on this workshop in this joke where like i never thought i could be a sexual predator <laughs> until until I got cats. <laughs> like, cause like, you know, like the cats affectionate or not, like they're not always looking, like if they're not coming over to you, they don't want you to near them. Yeah. Like, but you will touch them. Fuck. Yeah. I'll bury my face in their belly. And they're like, what? Like if, if this was a human being, I'd have been in jail. Dude. I, I am. I'm so sad to break it to you. That that is a uh, Whitney Cummings joke. Fuck that. Really? Yeah. She has the same thing, but about dogs. Oh fuck. See, it's completely different now. <laughs> it's really funny where she talks about how she understands uh guys because when she sees a dog that has like uh like a like a service dog that has like a don't pet me thing on oh, them she's yeah. like we have a problem now because i'm gonna pet that dog <laughs> oh i've heard that joke yeah yeah, yeah. yeah i'll cut this out of the podcast or whatever <laughs> that's all i need to do to keep that bit alive i'll erase this from the podcast you will know about it nobody I didn't even think about that. That's perfect. <laughs> I had a bit about the word retired that I was working on for like three weeks. And then Stanhope came out, which is like a way better bit in his special, like a month later. And I was just like, ah, oh, I put so much effort into that. And I just had to throw it away. It's, it's, so it's, a, really- it's, a, sh- it's a shame he didn't ask you about it. <laughs> right? <laughs> Why are you a comedian? Like, what what got you on the stage? Well, what got me on the stage and why I do it now are different things for sure. But uh, I think what drew me to the stage is my uh, was my unearned self confidence and my unearned sense of ego. I think <laughs> um, that's what drew me to it. Uh, obviously, everybody's a little fucked up that does stand up, and I think what it, I think most people when they come to stand up, it's an unconscious calling, and I think it's like you tend to live a life of extreme highs and lows and not very much of balance. And, uh, 
you tend to be a, you know more of an addict's brain and comedy is like is like a drug in a sense where it's like uh you know you get a high from the laughs and then eventually you got to get bigger and bigger and more and more rooms and bigger people to get this that same high right um and i think that that's where i started from comedy was like chasing that high of uh, attention fucking probably since my dad left when i was really young so but then you get to a point where you're like okay well because you're not you're not gonna put work in when that's like your motivation it's like a drug addict you know you're not like thinking of new creative ways to fucking get high <laughs> you're just fucking like i gotta get fucking high so i had this really bad bombing i hosted for a gym florentine at uh the carlson and uh i just dude ate such a bag of dicks and i'll tell you where i lost them <laughs> so i uh, i come out and i'm like hey so this is my first time hosting in a in a major club make some noise if this is your first time at the carlson people cheer and i go oh that's that's cool that's interesting we have something in common since this is both our first times i'm like but don't worry like i'm not i'm not nervous or anything because i'm really good at telling jokes that's basically all this is you know like kind of like how if i had to be a priest one day i wouldn't be nervous about it because even though i've never done it before i'm really good at fucking kids (laughs) (laughs) and dude it was a full 300 people nothing i mean dead silent dude and i i just was like i kept fucking i had a joke about going back in time and killing hitler that i followed that with <laughs> the whole bit was like it makes a noise if you would kill hitler as a baby if you had a time machine and then people would cheer and i'd be like why wouldn't you just raise him better you fucking nothing <laughs> 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 did you did you recover at all no i i got fucking late early i got lit like fucking five minutes in um i got bumped down to i only hosted so i went from hosting the weekend to only hosting two more shows out of the four left and i guest spotted the other two ouch yeah dude so it was like it was like a big fucking cut to the ego right and then i like was thinking about quitting and it was like what am i doing this for and all this other stuff and uh so i i took a look at i was like well what, what do i do i have anything that i really that i even want to say you know and i realized like oh i can't write jokes about topics that i want to talk about like I was coming from a place of unconscious creating where it's like you're waiting for something funny to come to your mind and then you write it down and that's your topic. But like to be able to be like, I want to write a joke about fucking apartheid in South Africa. Like I just couldn't do it. So I realized, oh, I got to fucking like work at this and figure out how to write jokes about any topics that I want to. And once I was able to do that, I realized that I stopped arguing with people on like Facebook and I stopped getting into like political arguments and fucking like my life, my day to day life was much full of less stress. And I realized that like the reason why I love comedy is because it gives me a, a, a vessel to express myself, which keeps me from going fucking crazy and allows me to think clear and enjoy my life and not be so fucking neurotic about everything. Well, I see you and like, I don't see the neuroticism. Like I look at you and I was trying to picture, you know, cause most, most mornings I think about you and you know, cause that helps me get through my day, but, but, uh, <laughs> I, I can't, above your bed. <laughs> well, it's not, uh, not right above the bed. I mean, it's more on the wall, but yeah, it's right. there. Hold out thing, but... <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, I can't picture you in a bad mood. 
Like I, I just I see you just smiling. Yeah. Maybe it's because you're high, but but yeah. like you know, you just <laughs> like, you're just you got this big you know goofy grin on and just having fun with everybody. I think a lot of it is um, I do try to I do try to live as the with I try to go the path of least stress. Generally, I try to avoid stress, but I try not to like you know avoid problems. So the thing is, is that I just kind of like I don't know. I keep a very private person. Like I keep all of my like issues and stuff built up inside. <laughs> so like, and I eat. A, I try to eat a lot of mushrooms. I feel like mushrooms are really good for it's a vegetable. lot of reasons, and I think that that helps a lot with like anxiety and wanting to be like in the moment and and connecting with people. I'm so, I'm so, see, it's funny that you say that because I'm so anxious and depressed all the time. That's like a baseline for me that like when I get a chance to go see people that I like and be with comics and and be in, in a situation where, because I work in a fucking factory 40 hours a week, you know, like with fucking pieces of shit that I really can't stand. And like, they're probably saying the same thing about you. Oh, dude, for sure. And, but it's just like, so for me, it's like, I see those opportunities. And that was another thing that changed too. When I, when I learned how to have comedy be a thing as, as a form of expression, instead of just like a way to get attention was that like, I realized that the, the moments that I look back at the most fondly, the memories that I have that I cherish the most are when I'm hanging out with comics, when I'm, you know, out with my fucking girlfriend in like a scene of people that I love. And it's just like, I, I would rather have more of those moments and never be successful in comedy than be successful in comedy and have that taken away from. So it's like, that's, that's the thing that I look forward to most in life. The thing that I love most in life is getting a chance to laugh with people and like have a good time and be in the moment. Do you see yourself moving from Rochester or yeah. would you be happy? Would you be happy there for the rest of your life? No, I'm definitely moving to New York city as soon as I have enough money. I did a show with, uh, Louis J. Gomez in Buffalo a couple, like, two weeks before the quarantine went off, and uh, he really broke it down in a way that made it, like, kind of obvious, where it's like, yeah, I, I, like, unless you have, like, a podcast that has, like, you know, thousands of listeners every day, every week, like, you're never going to get a big enough draw to, like, tour anywhere, you know? So, like, you have to kind of, like, if you want to build an audience, you either have to have that big internet following, or you have to be in a market where you can fucking... Your, your ability will get noticed. So I've, we've been doing a lot of work with, uh, we didn't mention earlier, but I hate this podcast. We, I do a, a podcast with uh, Todd Gerslin in Rochester. And uh, we've been doing a lot of work with like people that do like uh, work in like gas digital and like that whole scene of comedy in New York city. So I think the plan is to like, hopefully move to New York city and uh, that scene of comedy of like uh like the skanks and all those people like i think would be a good fit for my style so it's like i'm thinking of like okay i gotta get to a market where my comedy has a audience that will appreciate it, you know so yeah, definitely uh, something in new york city is probably the move because i i know some comics there well i know yeah like i know steven rogers is down there and, and right, a bunch yeah. of those guys uh rj mccarthy was supposed to move but we did a show last night and he's like, yeah, it might not be another year just because it kind of wiped out finances and, you know, he's going to have to rebuild his act. Yeah, it sucks. It's definitely the same kind of thing for me where it's like it's probably at least a year, if not two. But that's definitely the game plan. That'd be cool if fucking RJ moves down at around the same time. Well, I wanted RJ to move a long time ago so I didn't have to see him again. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> Dude, you'd see RJ way more because he'd just be fucking FaceTiming you all the time. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's I think if and when he does move, you know, and that's the thing, like, like I'm waiting for all you guys to move down. So it's easier transition for me. Like, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. this thing, like 
just doing a scene, especially especially at the Carlson. So many people like Gomez come come through there, like Buffalo, whatever. That you're not going to be a you know a stranger down there. Right. You're going to have so many people that you could say, "Hey, can I get on the? Can I get a spot on this show? Or who should I talk to?" Like and you've, I, got your, you've got your avenues. And honestly, I wouldn't recommend doing it any other way. Like if you're a comic watching this and you're thinking about moving to New York City, like or LA or a big market, like. Try to work your local clubs and have, you know, host and feature for comics that are in those markets. And if you do well and you have a good hang with them, they'll remember you. Because if you just, excuse me, if you just try to like go to New York City with no connections and you're just hitting open mics, it's going to be, it's going to be fucking tough, man. Like it's, you're going to take, even if you're really good, like it's, you should wait until you, I mean, unless you've been doing it for like six, seven years and just for whatever reason, the local clubs just hate you, then you might just have to fucking bite the bullet and jump and just try because what else can you do? I see it as, you know, like you're 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 an all state baseball player, you're a center fielder on your high school team. Uh, you're, you're great. Everybody loves you. Then you go to college. Well, now you're with 26 other all state baseball players. Right. You're no longer the best person on your team. Like right. it's very, I think it would be very easy to get lost there. Yeah. And it's also, too, because like you have to have you have to have your own personal goals and like you got to be kind of fully formed as a comic and as a person because you don't want to like you don't want to go to new york city and then just try to emulate what people are doing that's successful and just be another one of 500 comics that are funny but it's like who gives a shit and i'm sure it's kind of a bullshit approximation number but i heard there's like 3,000 comedians in new york city oh i'm sure there's more if you include like improv people too oh they're not real people Um, I actually did. Imp- I actually did a uh, professional improv for. Uh, I, I did uh, Electric Forest, the uh, music festival, for two years. Uh, was that before you did stand up? It was uh, right in the beginning of stand up. Um, yeah, my, uh, my my roommate at the time ended up being like, "Hey, you want to fucking?" I just like it, it. Just fell into my lap. Like I didn't even audition or anything. And uh, he's like, "Hey, you're funny. You want to do this thing?" And it was just like we would do characters to people that are on acid, basically. Wow. <laughs> How'd you like it? It was fucking awesome, man. It was well. The first year was way cooler because, like, I forget what were we? We were detectives the first year. Okay, so there's good and bad about both years. The first year we were detectives, and we were like we we're the detectives of the forest. So we would just like make up mysteries and like have people pretend to solve them when they're rolling on Molly and stuff. And like it was fun, but we had these big wool fucking like Sherlock Holmes outfits in the middle of july so you're fucking sweating your goddamn balls off like we did i had to change shirts constantly and then like put sweaty shirts back on after they had cooled oh boy <laughs> it was just horrible but we had like so there's like a ranking system of like wristbands if you work there and uh there's like 30 wristbands and like the higher you go in the rank the more access you have to shit so like we were considered uh artists well we still were the second year but we were artists so we got second to the highest access so it was like dude backstage passes everywhere free food free booze like fucking you could go like they had this like whole like water park for employees they had like private pools and like just it was crazy it was like being a celebrity 
And then the next year, they bump the access down to, like, the middle of the fucking thing because all the artists, like, drank all the alcohol and, like, just oh, destroyed the bathrooms and, like, fucking... So the second year was just, like... It kind of sucked because it was just, like, you, you didn't have as much access to all the shit that you had before. But uh, it was more fun because we got to wear shorts because we were, like... We were... Uh, the second year, we were... Uh, Oh, we were tour guides. So, like, the whole thing was that we were, like, a family of tour guides, and we would give fake tours of the forest. So we'd be like, that's where Britney Spears learned how to yodel. And just, like, make, like, <laughs> dumb shit up like that to people on acid, and they fucking loved it. They were so much fun. But, yeah, so I like improv. I like, I like long-form, character-based improv. Like, everything else, like, when they're like, let's play a game where we're all sitting in a taxi, and, like, someone comes in, and he's zany. Like, I fucking can't stand that. I've never tried it. And I, I always think that I would like it. Like, but I I think I, I did one show down in Scranton and kind of as a warm up or there was improv on it or something like that. And all five of us, six of us had to get up there and like take commands or whatever. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I've just felt so awkward. It was like it, it was like I had to learn the Macarena in front of everybody in, in the class. And I'm like, I can't right. do this. Right. It's just it feels so contrived and so like forced and just like not natural. But, the- if it's, but if like you and I are bullshitting right here, I'm awesome, like not awesome, but I feel great about uh, the give and take. And I'm like, I'm very comfortable there. So if that was the improv part. I can do it. Yeah, there's there's like comedians tend to do like on podcasts, just kind of like unstructured improv where it's just instead of having like a game or like a topic, you just start talking until a bit comes and then you just fucking run with it. Um, So it's weird how there's a, there's weird how there's like a a rift in, in comedy between like improv guys and club guys, you know? I really don't, I really don't know why that is. Like, like I, I, I joke about it. Like, like obviously there are people, uh, Shipley was on here uh, a while ago and, and she did the same. I think she's still doing improv and, you know, and I I would think that, that the two would complement each other. Like, like if you were good, at improv, that skill set would have to translate well into stand up. Because like like if somebody if somebody heckles a show or whatever, you can I would think you could roll with it a little better than somebody who doesn't have any improv experience. Well that's all crowd work is. Right. It's just improv. It's and, just and, and crowd work I think is the hardest part about comedy. It's definitely dude, I I love doing crowd work, but it, it was the hardest thing to learn. And it's definitely the hardest thing to be consistent at because it's just it's such a trial and error thing. You know, like you can't test out fucking crowd work lines on people because you don't want to have like preloaded crowd work lines because they just won't land. I think what it is is just that people that are successful in improv aren't successful in club comedy and vice versa. And I think that it, I think that it's just people talking shit about things that they're not good at. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you have when you're doing improv? <laughs> it's so weird. It's like an inside baseball thing. But when you're doing improv, are you discouraged from wearing shorts on stage? I mean, I know that was a bit for you, but like, like, because you can't do that, you know, for stand up. That's a that's a faux pas. Yeah, I don't fucking give a shit about shorts on stage for either, dude. Like, that's you know, dude. There's so many dumb rules to stand up that make no sense. <laughs> like fucking wearing shorts on stage. How the fuck does that uh, uh, affect your joke at all? Like not. You- can you imagine, dude, fucking going to a show and being like, yeah, man, that fucking, that chick was really funny, but, like, I just couldn't stop looking at her shorts the whole time. <laughs> well, like, like I got I got ready for the show last night, and it was July 11th, and I went from wearing mesh shorts for, like, a week and a half in my house, and I'm like, well, I gotta go to a show, gotta put on my pants. It's so weird, like... On my show pants? Like, what are you, a fucking <laughs> jockey, dude? <laughs> yeah. 
my cargo pants too. Because yeah. you know, in two thousand two, like whip yourself in the leg before the set. <laughs> all hyped up. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's such a it's such a stupid rule. But I'm like, eh, I don't want to be the only comedian wearing shorts. Dude, it's the but same thing with like doesn't matter. Up nice, like wearing a fucking suit, dude. If you wear, it's like if it. The only reason you would dress up is to distract from the fact that your jokes suck. <laughs> It's it's no reason why. Like it's just it's like imagine a fucking you know. Okay, this is like a joke I was working on for a little bit that I I got rid of because it's fucking who gives a shit. But uh, it's like you remember you ever seen those devour uh commercials like the company like the fucking like I, I think so it's like frozen food it's like like a fucking you know they have like bowls of like macaroni and cheese and like fucking buffalo chicken and shit you know what i mean i remember that but it's like the big devour like and it's all like sexualized like the commercials and stuff and it's like how fucking bad does your food have to be for you need to that you have to sell it with sex it's like those are the two things that sell themselves you know it'd be like if a prostitute was like i'll give you a hand job and a free hot dog like how bad do you no one's thinking, man, I bet that's a good hot dog. <laughs> it's just such a dumb rule. When is the last time you saw an advertisement, a commercial for Coors Original? Coors, like the beer? Yeah. I don't think I, in a long time. And you know what? They still probably sell a shitload of Coors Original. Right. It was like that. These beer companies that, that Pepsi, Coca-Cola, like, like I am brand loyal. Like, you've got me. They can stop spending money on advertisements and do really well still. Yeah. Well, it's like that Stanhope bit where he's just like, he's like, a good product doesn't need advertising. He's like, when's the last time you saw a commercial for cocaine? <laughs> Is there, have you ever been a time where you're like, want to go get some cocaine? And people are like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> Is he your guy? Stan, yeah, Stanhope. Yeah, okay. Well, I like, I think, I think Chappelle and Stanhope are both the goats. I put Louie up there too, but for different reasons. Like, I think that, because uh, I just love sexual assault. No. <laughs> But uh, I think that I think that Chappelle is the is the goat as far as like he's the leader of culture right now. He is a leading driving force of of culture. Where like Stanhope is kind of like counterculture, like on the outside looking in, and like he's kind of more like critical of the structure of things. Where like Chappelle is kind of like leading people like towards the right place. I would say like he's he's got a leadership role. I see Stanhope as like punk rock, where right. it's like 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 he's not advertising himself. He he's got something on Netflix or had had one, but right. you know you're never going to see him you know do HBO or you know Comedy Central. But like you'll see him on Facebook with like an eight minute ad about you know how shitty the government or is or right. or you know uh, euthanasia or whatever it is. Right. And uh, but it's like whenever you listen to him, you're like, oh yeah, I get it. Like that makes a whole fucking load of sense. You know who else? There's a, there's a couple people like that. That those are the types that like Eddie Pepitone is another one that I really love. Pat Oswalt was probably the first love that I had in comedy. Uh, his album um, Werewolves and Lollipops, Lollipops and Werewolves, something like that, is like one of the best comedy albums of all time. And uh, I just love people who have passion in what they're talking about, you know? Even if it's something that's dumb to me, I like it when someone cares about what the fuck they're talking about. They're not just up there to get attention. It's like, I've always had this theory. I thought about working into a bit, but it's not funny, so I'm going to say it in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this, 
That's why I had this podcast. <laughs> Comedians have a superpower that they don't realize. And the thing is, is that people won't change their mind about something unless they hear it from somebody that they respect. And you can trick people, you can force people into respecting you by making a room full of people laugh. Because laughing is involuntary. You don't control what you get, what you think is funny. You know, you might want to laugh more for some people than you will with others, but especially if you don't want to laugh and someone forces you to laugh. Like, let's say there's a topic, there's a joke about a topic that you feel strongly one way about, but someone can make you laugh making a point about the opposite point. Um, if you laugh at that, that's you kind of being, the laughter puts your guard down and it allows you to open your mind and think differently about things because that person kind of like mentally like submitted you, <laughs> made you laugh at something that you disagree with. So like, I look at that as like a superpower and I look at hacks as like people who it's like they don't use that superpower to, to do anything constructive. It's like if Superman, there's a fire in a building. And Superman is in the Fortress of Solitude and he fucking sees it on his whatever fucking, you know, uh, Pornhub page or however he fucking, <laughs> however he, he finds shit out. And he fucking flies down to this building in like a blink of an eye. And then instead of putting the, the building out and saving everybody in it, he starts to juggle 10,000 tennis balls at the same time. If you walked up and you saw that, you'd be like, holy shit, that's amazing. But if you were a fucking another superhero, you'd be like, dude, why didn't you put out the fucking fire? You narcissistic asshole. Like, you don't need any more attention. There's shit on fire everywhere. <laughs> how do you spot a hack comedian? For me, it's what they talk about, like, and, and how they talk about it. So, like, I can tell somebody who doesn't have anything to say and is just trying to get a laugh. Like, you can just feel... A, a passion if someone's talking about something and they and they really care about it like if someone's telling you about how their dog died there's never a question in your mind of is this guy bullshitting me i think he might hate his dog you know <laughs> but if someone's talking about a fucking date that they had it's like okay well this person could or could not give a shit about the story you know so it's like it's just a matter of like for me and especially too if it's like a topic that's been done a million fucking times and it's just like you can see the punchline coming a mile away and it's just like all right fucking whatever you tricked these people who have haven't heard of this joke structure before good for you <laughs> let's say a comedian comes to stage and he says all right well i had this joke about how i probably didn't think i could be a sexual predator and then, <laughs> is that hack right away it depends on if his Mets hat was backwards or forwards. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> Always comes back to the Mets hat. When will I learn? But the thing, too, is that, like, I'm much more critical of people who have been doing it longer. Like, you know, I don't expect someone who's been doing stand-up for a year, two, three, even four years to, A, know who they are as a person, or B, have done enough work to have figured out how to be successful in their writing. So it's like, it's more of people... I'm only critical of people who are like regu regularly getting good work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm not going to go to an open mic and be like, fucking hack. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but if you're doing fucking 20 minutes every other weekend in a major comedy club and you're up there talking about how zany dating is during the quarantine, it's like, dude, I want to hit you in the face. <laughs> right. 
Well, like like uh, Pepitone, I think he's been on stage for what, 30, 40 years almost? Long time, man. And he, I think he just released another album. Yeah, I haven't listened to it or yet. A, or a special or something like that. I got to wait till I get paid this week, but I'm very excited to listen. But like somebody like that, like you could, you could see how a guy on his level would fucking coast on like Gilbert Gottfried. I don't think he's written a joke in like 30 years. Seriously. And and credit to him. I mean, it still goes over well, but I know I, you know, I I have a joke or I had one a while ago. Like I opened for him and at the time I'm like, oh, this is a big deal. And then like I thought about it and I'm like, no, that's kind of a rite of passage for a comedian. Like like everybody eventually will open for Gilbert Gottfried. Gottfried is like, he's like, would you have to go take fucking peyote and go into the desert to be a man? (laughs) And then you go into the desert and you're tripping. He's just like, so like but i I remember watching i mean like like people loved his set and then somebody came out and like yeah i saw that 30 years ago like okay fuck man so like pepitone has new shit like i have a lot of respect for that well it's just like it's just people like i mean sarah silverman is another one who i i really respect and think is incredibly expressive it's just it's it's an art form is what it comes down to and a lot of people don't treat it as an art form jesus's magic was one of my favorites oh my god because like i had no i had no idea what the hell to expect because it didn't start off i don't think she's on stage to start off it's like a you know kind of like a i think it's before the sarah silverman program but it Mm -hmm. was kind of like a a prelude to that it seemed and then it goes into stand-up i'm like oh shit this is really good and it comes out and i just love the way she recorded that yeah and and it's not just like typical like structure like typical club structured stand-up like i also really love guys like reggie watts and what he does and his like you know alt comedy like i think that alt comedy can be done well but it's just it's very hard to figure out um it's kind of like it's kind of it's just like normal comedy there's a lot of hacks in it and a lot of people fucking see the hacks and they think that that's the representation of it and and comedy is one of those things that for whatever reason it's like it gets no respect everybody thinks they can do it nobody like nobody treats it as an art form in the sense of like art is about expressing yourself to keep basically to keep yourself from fucking going crazy instead of just dulling all your fucking senses with zoloft you should be creating and expressing yourself and people that don't do it it's just like you're you're taking up space well somebody came up to the show uh i had justin jackson rj and abdul hadi and yeah they're great guys um except for rj apparently but uh (laughs) Uh, but somebody came up to us afterward and we always get this like like wow it takes a lot of balls to get on stage i'm like yeah you know it also takes balls having somebody pay us <laughs> like, like, that's the fucking hardest stuff like as a producer that's the hardest thing for me to get is like like have bar owners or managers or whatever agree to like pay you know not a livable wage but like right pay us like you would musicians more than 10 like, <laughs> right it's like like uh like i don't, I don't want to talk numbers but it's like like i i never know what to ask for as a promoter or producer like like because i don't want to totally screw my chances of getting in that room but i also want everybody to get paid splitting the door or like a percentage of the bar or something like that because you don't have like a a number ahead of time but then if you are successful then you can make some money and then they don't feel like they got ripped off you know yeah one little uh format i used uh it it works okay Uh, it kind of depends on who you are but or where you are but if I say, okay, well, here's a gear, let's say I want a guaranteed $400, right. and, but we'll have a ticket price. So if we make that ticket money, if we hit 400 with the tickets, the owner pays us nothing. But if we, if we come up to like 280, the owner pays us 120. So uh, like, so the cap on how much you could possibly. No, well, we could make, no, that's a limit. 
So the the bottom floor would be four hundred dollars. If we sold five hundred dollars worth of tickets, that's our money. They pay oh. us nothing. Okay, okay, okay. I see what you're saying. So so that's like a kind of a, a system. I, I didn't invent it, I'm sure, but I didn't steal it from anybody. Uh, but like that that's worked. But yeah. th- again, like you, yeah. I go into and like my, my anxiety goes into, into gear because I'm like, well, if you know, if we don't sell this many tickets, I got to go ask for one hundred and twenty dollars. I don't want to do that, and I feel like right. I failed. But it's like, no, right. I'm, I'm giving them a show at a discount. But I think that's just beaten into us as comedians because we're used to getting ten bucks at the door and like, oh, it's a split, it's a bar split, or you know, we do this free show. That's too. This is why it kind of circles back to what we were saying before. I think it's so. A lot of clubs, what they'll do is they'll give you like a door deal, like uh, depending on what your draw is. So like, that's why for me, I realized like, oh, you can get to a point where like you can be good at it and like kind of figure it out and figure out your voice and stuff. But if you can't draw, you're still a bitch to whatever booker likes you. So like you have to either get a podcast that works or move to a bigger market once you have the ability to do it. Because like trying to fucking work out deals where you're booking your own shows or like or trying to get on like shows that aren't just like, you know, fucking some hack from 30 years ago. And if you don't do well, then you kind of get screwed, you know? So like, but if you go to like, if you have like a popular podcast, even semi-popular, if you have like, uh, you know, somewhat of a, a buzz in like New York city, you could fucking go to book a room and the booker will give you like decent money. Like even if you don't draw that time, you know? So for me, it's like, I understand the business of why comics don't get paid. But the thing that sucks is like, you want it to be a meritocracy, right? Where it's just like, if you're funny enough, you should get paid enough. But really all it comes, like it just, all it comes down to is draw. And that's why so many people become hacks is because they wouldn't work otherwise because there's ways to get like, you know, either people like you or to do well or to like market yourself well by being a hack. So it's more of like a big flaw of it is that the the system kind of like generates hacks because to be able to work in it, you need to be able to have a draw. And if you don't want to fucking, you know, grind out the process of building a thing yourself for 10 years it looks like a good idea to just be like, oh, fuck it. I'll just talk about fucking how much I hate my wife. <laughs> yeah, un- until you die. <laughs> I think we all know that guy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like, but that's kind of the thing, man. It's like, it's you either have the long, hard road where like if you get there and you do it right, you'll have control over your, your career. Or you can take the road where it's like, you know, this is this is how to be successful without necessarily doing anything different or unique. Uh, so I don't forget where I was going to I'm fucking high as shit. <laughs> How'd you get into the Carlson? I mean, like, was it like an audition process? Um, no, I, I had won the roast battle back when it was at uh, Webster. Okay. It was, it was called the Comedy Club in Webster. And I'd won, I beat, um, I think I beat Malcolm in the final. And uh, I, I never got a weekend there from that, but I was kind of like in the radar of things. And then I would do like the Funniest Person contest. Actually, the first time I ever got on stage was on a, at a Funniest Person. In Rochester? I, yeah, at the club in, in Webster. I, uh, I, I, dude, I was so naive when I started comedy. I have no fucking idea how it worked. And, um, I don't think anybody does though. Dude, I was bad too. I was so dumb. And like, I loved comedy too. I knew like a lot of stand up by that point, but I used to think that like, you'd have to be ass back to an open mic. Oh shit. 
Dude, I'm telling you, if things didn't work out the way they did, I might not be doing comedy right now. Because, like, the whole reason I even went was because, like I said, I've been working in factories for the past 12 years of my life, since I was fucking 18. And and I always wanted to do something different, but I didn't know what I could do. I, I got a GED, and I dropped out of community college. So I don't have a lot of fucking options. So I remember seeing, we had this, like, corny-ass fucking, uh, like, plasma tv thing when you'd walk into i worked at this optics company like six years ago and when you'd walk in they'd have like a phrase of the day some you know corporate bullshit they feed you to keep you working and one of them was like a bruce lee quote where it was like something about how you know not taking the first step is all that matters you just got to do it or some shit like that and i remember i saw that and then i went out in my car on my break and i heard some fucking i think it might have been like a mark myra fucking uh <laughs> commercial on 94.1 talking about how the Carlson had this or how uh, the comedy club had this like funniest person contest like ah oh, fuck this is a sign you know I gotta fucking sign up for this thing so I go and I do it and uh, it's first time ever on stage I did alright I did pretty good I didn't make it past I didn't get voted through but they did this thing back then called the wild card round where if the judges liked you they emailed you and they're like come back for one more round oh that's great so they did that I came back and I did all right again, but I didn't make it through. But I was like, oh, they asked me back. That means that, like, I can do this. <laughs> like, I'm allowed to. <laughs> like, I, I was like you, there was, like, a list at an open mic, like a fucking club, you know? Like, uh, like what's your name? And you're like, if you weren't dressed well enough, you didn't. And uh, so I didn't do another mic for, like, six months after that. Oh, shit. Yeah. And then I, uh, I did a Boulder mic, and um, it was the same thing. I thought I had to be asked back. And I didn't get asked back, obviously, because who the fuck would do that? It'd be a fucking insane thing to do to someone. So how did you go? I'm trying to understand what your thought process was. You went to the Boulder mic. You, uh-huh. did, you did stage time. Yep. Nobody asked you to do it, right? Right. So, so, but you still thought you had to be asked back. I did, yeah, and and because well, because I thought it was like I thought it was kind of like the contest where it was like someone would fucking like message oh, you. So, <laughs> so you're waiting for that wild card email, basically. <laughs> Okay. All right. So I uh, and I remember thinking too, like doing an open mic after being in a club with a full room, you know, dark with the spotlight in your eyes. And I went and did a fucking open mic at a coffee shop. I'm like, there's zero pressure. Here. <laughs> like, this is fucking <laughs> great. But I didn't do another open mic for another probably two three months after that. And uh, it wasn't probably until a year after I got on stage for the first time that I started doing like one to two open mics a month. And then maybe like two, three months after that, I'd do about once a week. And then from there, it was like, you know, a couple times a week. But yeah, it was a weird start. That's the one thing I, I really, I mean, there's a bunch of things I admire about the Rochester scene. Uh, some things I don't, but. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But like the, the proximity to like stage time. I mean, you guys at one point had what? Three or four mics during the week and then shows on the weekends. And you're not that far from Syracuse or Buffalo. Yeah. Yeah, it was, Rochester was weird, it was tricky, because, like, yeah, there was a lot of stage time, but the rooms kind of sucked, because it was a lot of people, it was a lot of comics, so you'd have, like, even though you'd have, like, 30 people in an open mic, 25 of them would be comics, and... 
a lot of the people in the crowd would be the same people that you would see. So it was kind of like you couldn't really get a good gauge on if you were improving or not because you get a lot of sympathy laughs. Right, right. You would go into a room and you would see someone tell a joke that you've seen them tell 50 times to the people that have heard it 50 times and they're all laughing like it's the first time that they heard it. So like there's a problem with like not being able to get good feedback in Rochester for a while. But like you said, the fact that it was so close to Syracuse and Buffalo, I think was good for, for a couple of people because you were able to go to those those places and realize that, oh, the jokes aren't actually as good as you thought they were. But you could go back and get on, you could get comfortable being on stage so that way when you do get an opportunity to tell them in front of an actual crowd, you're not nervous about it. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, is there is there anything you won't joke about? Like, because no. like like uh, like you know the the PC thing or whatever. I, I don't think you give a shit because one, I think you're really funny despite what I said earlier, uh, <laughs> and and uh, I I just don't see you taking anything that seriously. Well, it's not even so much about not taking it seriously. It's more just like a philosophical disagreement on the idea that things aren't there. There's like topics that aren't you shouldn't be able to joke about. I mean, if you're not good at I, if you suck at joking about really risky topics and people get pissed at you, hey, you fucking, you didn't do your job. But the idea that like a topic could be not talked about, it's like, I, I always revert back to Stanhope for a lot of these things because he just already has such good bits written about him. But he had this whole thing in his last special. Have you, did you see the one he put out this year? I don't think so. So he has this bit um, that I love. It's just like one of my favorite bits ever where he says, uh, people get mad at, at you for being like, oh, you shouldn't make fun of that. You shouldn't make fun of that. He's like, can you just listen to what they're saying? Like, oh, did, did I take something that was horrible and tragic and maybe unavoidable in life and I made it fun? What an asshole I must be. <laughs> Like, life is terrible. It's suffering. It's nothing but fucking getting beat down over and over and over again. And, like, people that get mad about jokes just don't realize that this is how we're coping with. This is how we're, you know, able to keep going is that we can take things that are terrible and and make people laugh about it and and also hopefully get a, make a point while you're doing it. You know, it's that way those terrible things don't keep happening. Well, I was in line at Walmart a couple of days ago and, you know, like people are pissed off of the masks still, believe it or not. And and like, whatever. Uh, don't wear one, wear one. I don't give a shit anymore. But you fucking idiots. <laughs> But the the woman behind me, she said out loud for everybody to hear, Ugh, when are they going to start rounding everybody up and gassing us like they did in Nazi Germany? And I was like, you know, that's a bit dramatic. Like, like I don't get it. Like, like yeah. put, get some perspective. Yeah, remember when before they rounded up all the Jews, they made them wear medical supplies? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Took them into the candy aisle? Yeah, you fucking dumb shit. Yeah like that dude it's like it's like we're not telling you to wear a mask to fucking uh make you comply we're telling you to wear a mask so that way the fuck our society can function again you've been complaining about being inside for fucking six months and now there's a menial task you can do to make society function again you're like no i 
reject it. Meanwhile, you fucking are the biggest cuck to the government when it comes to having all your gun rights taken away or having your fucking taxes stolen from you or being fucking fucked up the ass by corporations that steal your wealth. The Federal Reserve steals your wealth over generations. Corporations are enslaving you and forcing you to participate in a system where you're their fucking peons, but you're going to finally make a stand for, oh, liquid cloth over my nose. You're fucking idiot dude you're such an idiot out of epic proportion all right this is my fault i only i asked the question i said comment was funny and i unleashed this anarchist (laughs) it's just the stupidest like no you just don't like anybody on the left telling you what to do is all it comes down to is just a childlike not thinking for yourself just i'm not going to do whatever you tell me because you told me right but like, you know, uh, Trump wore a mask. This is how long everybody's going to they're going to everybody's going to listen to this in like January and be like, oh, I know exactly when he did this podcast because uh, Trump wore a mask for the first time. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, big boy. Look at that. And now people will con- convert conform. Yeah. Uh, just fucking idiots, dude. Just just like I, I want, I'm trying to find a term other than sheep because I hate that term. But it's just so accurate, like it, just mindless following of their leader. But uh, it was like I was saying to you earlier, dude, before the show started, I was at the fucking store and I saw this person, they had a mask on and they pulled it down under their nose to sneeze. And it's just like, what the fuck logic is behind that? Why would you wait? It's like waiting until you're wearing a condom and waiting until you're about to come before you take it off. Like, just don't wear the condom then, you fucking weirdo. (laughs) Although it would be funny if condoms were like masks and you had to wrap like the ear hole around your back and tie it around. <laughs> you have like different styles of condoms. You have like a Spider-Man one. <laughs> You'd have to stretch before putting on a condom. <laughs> so I can reach back there. <laughs> yeah, you gotta do fucking yoga to put your condom on. <laughs> what? Okay, Emily is your girlfriend. And by the way, yeah. is she okay? Because like, I've, I've heard her cough like she's about ready to die. No, we're smoking. She's just, she's just a pothead. <laughs> <laughs> But like, like what, if you were wearing a condom, like what cartoon character would she not still like, what, what would turn her off? What would turn her? Ooh, that's a good question. Does it have to be a cartoon character? If it was a cartoon. No, any, yeah. Whatever you, whatever you want to put on a condom, what could she see and be like, no, we're not doing this today. It's funny. Cause she's like, she's a goofball. So it would be hard for me to do something silly. I think my best bet was if I had Ben Shapiro's face on a condom. <laughs> And she just laughed in the other room, so I think she agrees with me. Great if, like, your dick was hanging to the alt-right. Like, if it it just said on the package, pregnancy doesn't care about your feelings. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the condom will work if it wants to work. Yeah. If it has enough fucking, if it's, uh, I was going to say Christian enough, but I think he's Jewish. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that. It's got to be, it's got to be a weird, weird spot for him. Yeah, dude. Kind of, but yeah, the face mask thing is just like, it's such a dumb hill to die on. Like you, you got robbed. Dude. The other thing too is like, real quick, I just have to get this out because it fucking shit drives me nuts. It's like at the beginning of the year, the CDC and the FDA told everybody not to test rapidly because they have to make sure that the tests are accurate, right? And they told people not to wear masks 
because there's no data that shows that masks make it better or that it's airborne, right? So then we, we go and then we find out that all that information's wrong. And we find out that the CDC contaminated like 80,000 of their own tests with the coronavirus. <laughs> and we're way far behind on testing and we're way far behind on transmission because people aren't wearing masks. So all these conservatives are like, oh, well, we shouldn't fucking go into lockdown because the economy and this and that. And look at Sweden and Taiwan and South Korea. They didn't lock down their economies. And it's like, okay, well, why didn't they lock down their economies? Because everybody wore a fucking mask, you fucking idiot. So it's like, so when they when the government tells you not to wear a mask and then steals a trillion dollars of the taxpayers' future money and gives you $1,200 and $500 billion to fucking banks and, and corporations, and then they, they steal this money from you, and then afterwards they tell you the right thing to do, and you still don't do it. It's like, how fucking stupid can you be? Well, I, I don't know the numbers, but like if you go back and look at, uh, it's not all a Republican uh, Democratic thing, but like if you go back and look at George W. Bush, like his economy was dog shit. Dog. And then it came up with Obama and it went down with Trump. And, you know, no matter what Democrat gets in there, I mean, obviously Biden's the choice now, but like it doesn't matter who you put in there. If it's Democrat and it goes, it, it's going to come up again. Like they, they're just two fundamentally different parties when it comes to the economy. This is the thing that people don't get is I disagree because the thing is, is that like we have this idea that like these policies are somehow different. All of the major economic policies on, on Democrats and Republicans, they're all fascists. Like they all have they all work with corporations and banks to like those are the people that write the policies. They just get senators and fucking congressmen that are all pedophiles. So they have blackmail on them. They, fucking, they didn't vote for shit without looking at it, dude. They're all the same group of fascists. And it's just like, it's all like, oh, fucking Obama or George Bush or, or Donald Trump. It's like, it, it doesn't matter, man. Like, it's all fucking, all right, I'm going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> Go to my Facebook if you want more content. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can, you can buy tinfoil hats on his website. Yeah, but this is why I need comedy so bad, man. Because, like, yeah, look how easy it was for me to launch into that rant. <laughs> I'm wound the fuck up, dude. I need to tell some dick jokes. <laughs> uh, well, I always ask everybody what their worst show was. But was that one of the Carlson, your worst show? Yeah, that, that probably had to be the worst one, dude. Because the thing, too, is, like, not only did I eat a bag of dicks so hard, but, like, I got hammered drunk at the bar, right? <laughs> and uh, I'm fucking, like, driving home drunk as shit. And this fucking cop pulls up behind me. Oh, shit. Dude, and I'm just like, of course, dude. Of course I'm going to get a DUI the night that I had, like, bombed the hardest. And I'm, like, a half a mile away from my house. And he puts his lights on. Fuck. And I pull over. And he fucking goes past me. And it was just like, oh, my God. Thank God. But it was just, like, that moment of feeling like I was going to get a DUI after bombing like that was by far, like, the lowest, like, feeling feeling in comedy where it's just like i'm a fucking dude <laughs> but at least like at that point you said well i'm never gonna drink again and i'm never gonna do drugs again <laughs> what it was is that I, I decided that i wasn't gonna make excuses and i was gonna work hard i was gonna work at it you know and uh it was definitely a turning point for sure you need those ego deaths to be able to build it back up again you know but with drinking dude i can't do comedy without drinking it's like 
don't know if you've noticed this or felt like this when you do stand up, but like before a show, you get so nervous. And especially like the bigger the show. Like I hosted for uh, Shane Gillis in uh, January, and I was like shit and bricks before each show, right? And what drinking does is you get to a point after like three, four beers where your main, because the reason why you're so nervous is because you want it to go well. And you're not sure that it will, right? You're like, like, I could eat a bag of shit in front of all these people. (laughs) So that's always, especially when you have eaten a bag of shit and you know how real that possibility is. So that is what your main thought process is. But when you get a buzz, especially alcohol, not weed, weed intensifies that if you're just smoking. But you get a buzz, your main focus goes from wanting to have a good set and wanting to do well to just wanting to have fun because you're just a silly drunk boy. (laughs) And you're like, you're being silly. You just want to keep the fun times going, you know? And uh, so, yeah, I like, I only really drink uh, when I do stand-up or when I play poker. But it doesn't affect, like, negatively affect your stand-up. No, it makes me way better. But that's funny because, like, like you don't you don't drink to write, right? Like, no, no. Yeah. So I think what I used to do is I used to oh I used to do stuff at Maddie B's, which is a bar in Binghamton, and you know I'd go there and you know the bartender would just hand me a Labatt. And I would always have like a, a labat or two before I went on stage. Maybe I'd, you know, nurse another one through the night. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, I'd drink a couple afterward. But I never did stand up tipsy. I had a shot of whiskey bought for me. And I'm not a liquor guy. And mm-hmm. I had a shot of whiskey. And I like was trying to, f- and I was hosting the show. And I was trying to figure out what my first joke was. I couldn't remember. I mean, thankfully, before I got on stage. But I was like, oh, shit. That's I can't terrible. do this. Yeah, so like, like I, I probably will never have whiskey or, or liquor before a show, but a beer is fine for me. So here's a here's a thought. Um, I wouldn't necessarily rule out whiskey or beer because because here's the thing: there's gonna be a lot of times. How long have you been doing stand up for? Uh, about four years. So oh. actually, tomorrow tomorrow's four years. So I haven't been doing that. I mean, I'll be. I think I was five years like a week. Ago. But um, but like I said, I I fucking we're actually closer probably the same amount of time because like I said, I fucking did like five mics that first year. <laughs> but um. I've had a lot of moments on stage where I've forgotten what I was going to say next and had that panic and just been like, oh, fuck, I have no idea what I'm going to say next. And I think that those are good sink or swim moments to learn skills to just be able to riff and stuff, you know, like because you're forced to. It's like so I wouldn't necessarily be like, I want to avoid those moments at all costs. I would I would look at it as I want to learn how to master those moments because they're going to come regardless throughout my time on stage. But for me, I feel like the best pre-stage cocktail is you get a tall glass of whatever the fucking, you know, club you're working at. Usually it's like, I forget how many ounces, but like the tall fucking, you know, big glass of, of beer. And like 60 then, ounces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you go smoke a joint with one other person and you take a shot right before you go on stage. And that is like, mm, <laughs> just that fucking, I rarely can get it down like where it's that. But every time I've had that order, bro, just been in the fucking zone. I'll try that. I just, uh, I'm not a, I'm not a pot guy. So oh. like, I just know. And I tried pot eight times and oh, I think, <laughs> I think I got a high twice, maybe, uh, once for sure. Uh, but yeah, just, but I, I didn't smoke pot until I turned 35. Wow. So, yeah. So it was like, I, it was like a two or three week stretch and I'm like, nah, I'm done. Not for you. I got high for the first time. I think I was 12. Um, but that's not surprising based on my beard and my blinds behind me. <laughs> <laughs> 
But uh, I was going to say, I have a funny story about RJ McCarthy getting high for the first time in a long time with me. I don't know if you've ever heard this story or not. I don't know. I'm up for it. So we did, uh, I hate this podcast, did a live show at the Carlson and the Rickles Room a couple, I want to say two years ago, it might have been a year, but where uh, we had Ian Finance was our headliner. I listened to that show. Oh, okay. So so at that show, RJ was there, and uh, I think it was Sherelle and Todd, too. So I'm we're sitting over. Have you, have you been to the, the Rickles Room in the Carlson or no? I did, like, a funniest person. I don't know if it was in the Rickles Room. Oh, no, it was probably the bigger one. Um, so, so they have a smaller room, which I love. I fucking love this room because it seats, like, 100 to 120, but it's really tight and compact. It's got a good stage, and it's got two cameras in there now, so... So the laughs just when it's full the laughs just hit so fucking hard there's like a so if you're looking at the stage if you're in the crowd right and you look at the stage over to the right instead of a green room they have like this little section where there's a couple couches and like a, a circle table where the comics can sit away from everybody right but there's no like door in the way so uh rj just got off stage and uh, we're watching i think we're watching ian on stage and um and this is before, so this is, this happened right before there was like a live podcast. So I look over, I, I thought RJ was like a seasoned veteran smoker, kind of like how I thought you were like a, a pothead. So I just figure like, oh, this guy, he'll appreciate me offering him this dab pen. So I, I'm like, hey man, you want to fucking hit this dab pen over here? Nobody can tell. Like, it'll be our fun little comics getting high in the corner thing. And he's just like, yeah, okay, sure. And the pen that I had, I think he's like me, you know, so he's been smoking pot every day for like 20 years. (laughs) So I'm like, dude, I'm like, the thing about my pen is because I I have to take a huge, like lung filling hit to get high off. So I'm like, the thing about my pen is that it'll time out. You have to like hit a button on it, you know, and you're like, but after like 10 seconds, that button will start to flash and it'll stop working. So like every five seconds you let go of it. And then you hit it again, and you let go of it, and you hit it again. So that way it'll just keep cooking. You'll get a bigger hit. So he took the biggest possible hit that he could ever take of this 98% concentrated THC (laughs) dab cartridge and just blows it out. And then I didn't know this until the next, like, time I saw him. He's like, dude, I haven't smoked weed in, like, 10 years. (laughs) He's like, I was Was so long. Yeah, he's like, I was so uncomfortably high for, like, seven hours. (laughs) <laughs> Usually he had to drive home and said he's he's thought about sleeping in his car and calling his parents to like come get him. Holy shit. He's like if you listen to that episode, dude, he's just like so clearly high and just like not doesn't know how to talk when people like address him in the podcast. I had no idea he was high done. Like like I now I'll go back and listen to it again and yeah. like put the pieces together. But holy dude, shit. You gotta talk to him. You gotta hear it from his perspective. Next time if you have him on the podcast, you gotta have him tell that story from his perspective. It's so much funnier because he's just talking about how like he's just out of his mind high. And I just like left him. I just completely abandoned him because I just thought he was like a note. Like, dude, to me, smoking a dad pen is like drinking a beer. You know, you would never be like, oh, I gave somebody a beer. I better make sure he's okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I just abandoned this dude and he's having like, he's like tripping balls in the corner by himself. Is that going to change how you act around everybody else? Like, they give him a pen, you're going to watch out for them? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, well, I don't know, man. I feel like I feel like people are adults. You know, I treat people like adults. I treat like 
if somebody asked me, if someone was like, you know, what do you, do you think I'd be okay or something like that? Like, you know, I've been a lot of people's first exposure to mushrooms. And so I've kind of like really helped them understand how to do it and like how to get your mind right. Like, I like being kind of like the shaman. But if I don't think you need it, I'm, dude, fucking go fuck yourself. <laughs> I think that's a really nice message to end on. <laughs> <laughs> go fuck yourself. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, man. I'm glad you had that. Oh, I'm, I'm really happy to have you. Uh, how can people follow along with social media and all that? Justin Brown Comedy on Instagram. I don't really have anything else on other social media platforms, but check out Hate This Podcast. That's, I mean, anywhere you find podcasts. Uh, you know, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, all that shit. We're going to have a lot of fucking cool shows coming down the pipe. If you're in Rochester, uh, we got Dave Smith coming up. Uh, he's going to do a live part, part, part of the problem podcast and a live show. A lot of good stuff coming in the future. So check out Hate This Podcast on Instagram and Justin Brown Comedy. Awesome, man. And like I said, I got gigs for you. Uh, I just got to get the venues, but. Absolutely. Come out to my feeder show. Killer show. Dude, seriously, you, you, you get. Pound for pound, some of the best lineups. If you haven't seen the Mike Peters show, fucking check that shit out. Thanks so much. I appreciate you doing this, man. Absolutely, buddy. Take it easy. Peeling back my sunburned skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I hope they let me in.